0: Welcome to Luthier's Tale, I'm Ben Liggett, Luthier and owner of Liggett Guitars. Every episode I interview someone that is passionate about their craft. This week I'm speaking with Michael King of Cowbrand Design. Michael is a builder whose guitars are uniquely his. Today we talk about his origins into the world of luthery, his design approach, and build process. For more information on Cal Brand Design, visit calbranddesign.com, or follow him on Instagram at electrostringed. For more information on my guitars, visit liggetguitars.com, or follow me on Instagram at liggetguitars. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You bet. Man, you, you've got... Thanks super for unique. Me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You you have super unique designs and I get like a a retro feel and a futuristic feel at the same time.
1: Well, actually I'm glad to hear you say that because that is definitely the intention. I'm actually trying to find a little, you know, happy spot between the two.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something about it uh, feels um Kind of like, like '50s automobile inspired, and uh-huh. some of it, some of it feels very like, maybe like '50s space, yep, uh, inspired. It, uh, so, w- what influences you the most when it comes to design? Ooh. well, you you kind of nailed it.
1: One one thing that I absolutely love, and I've had a love of since I was a little kid, is is science fiction. I absolutely love science fiction. And um I, just being a child of the the 60s, there's just things that just kind of rubbed off on me like uh, aluminum and you know, acrylic plastics and things like that were just like all the rage in the 50's and 60s. They were new materials mm-hmm. and uh, you know they were used quite a bit you know in a lot of different things and I, you know I saw a lot of that stuff and it just kind of had an imprint on me, you know because moving forward you start to see you know other things and it's just something that's never like left my my memories you know I, when i look at the when i was a kid i watched like all the space missions you know the first you know neil armstrong and all that and you look at like the the lunar module and things like that you know some of it was aluminum some of it wasn't but it all had this kind of brushed aluminum mm. or brushed silver look to it and it's just something about that just always attracted me and uh, yeah. television shows, you know, like Lost in Space and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And, you know, a lot of uh, uh, Japanese science fiction, you know, space travel movies. I was into all of that stuff. And still at me, you know, I have a model collection. I collect like a lot of models. And uh, I try and find like the older kits and things like that. Sometimes I kit bash and put things together like that. But, but the, and in cars too, I absolutely love uh european sports cars yeah. in particular alfa romeo and you know i like porsche a lot and i like renault uh a lot too and I've, you know i've had like sports cars you know as a teenager that i've tinkered with
0: is there like a particular year range of automobiles that you like the best
1: definitely i'd have to say uh mid 50s to probably the mid 60s is probably the sweet spot for me uh, okay it's just something about uh the design you know
0: the,
1: the it was really minimalist and uh i like the colors that they use like uh, you know ferrari and alfa mayo love that that red that really epoxy red and, yeah uh, uh also, you know, again, I'm a big fan of aluminum and a lot of these cars had air cooled engines and they used like aluminum, you know, cooling fans. On. You know, another thing I guess I should mention is, you know, I went to school and studied motorcycle mechanics at a school called South County Tech. You know, I got a oh, degree cool. in motorcycle mechanics. So, I, you know, I messed around with a lot of those engines and that. It is you know, obviously yeah, that aluminum thing is just in there all over the place. But yeah, 50s, mid 50s to mid 60s is that sweet spot for me. Nice. Yeah. It,
0: it was the tech um, schooling, was that um, concurrent with high school for you or was that after the fact? It was after.
1: It, I shouldn't say it was after. It was instead. I went to high school. I went to junior high first and then I decided to go to tech school. You know, I tested. And uh, at that time, I really wanted to be uh, an aircraft mechanic is what I wanted to be. And oh, the nice. school... D- that I wanted to to go to, uh, they had a program, but it was like really hard to get in. I tested in, but unfortunately there wasn't a seat available for me. So what they did was they put me in the next, um, kind of qualifying, uh, class, which was what they call small engine repair. We, we work on motorcycles, Marine engines, uh, lawnmower engines and small, uh, like, uh, VW engines and, you know, things like that, the smaller uh, internal combustion engines. And uh, so they put me in that program because the engines, you know, in aircraft and power mechanics at the time were very much part of that same thing. So they said, let's sit you in this class because there's an opening. And they told me that almost every time, you know, one or two of those seats drop, like they'll fill up at the beginning of the year, but, you know, somewhere down the road, you know, maybe a month or two in, somebody will drop out of the, you know, those classes. So I said, okay, that's fine. You know, and that way I would have, you know, the next refusal, you know, to, to, to get into the class, sit a seat open. So I agreed to that thinking, oh yeah, well I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll just work here until uh, a seat opens. And it never did. And uh, I, I was there for, <laughs> I was there for three years and I never got in. I did one vocational uh-huh. prep, prep year and then another three years and that whole time nothing ever opened up and I just gotten so far down the rabbit hole like after that second year it was just even if something opened I wasn't interested I just wanted to finish and I'd gotten really hooked on um, motorcycle engines anyway my, my grandfather was an aircraft me- uh, mechanic in World War II he worked on Corsairs and uh oh, wow yeah so, so he you know he did that and my uncle who was a, he was a pilot so I you know I was you know heavily kind of immersed in aircraft too. anything that flew or you know rockets or, or had an internal combustion engine on it, i was all about it And it just kind of That's all awesome. got smashed together for me
0: how did you go from that to getting interested in um, instrument repair and ultimately wow. building well
1: i'll tell you <laughs> i've been asked this several times obviously but it's not a short story i'll, I'll see if i can condense them for you as best as possible um I grew up in a in a little suburb uh, here in St. Louis called U- University City. And when we moved there uh, to, to, to the neighborhood, my mom told me there was this hobby shop up at the top of the street. Now, I didn't know what a hobby shop was at that. I was a little kid, you know, probably about five or six years old. Anyway, I walked up there and I looked around and I saw this place. And in the window, there's all these model kits and all this other really cool stuff. And I went in and... uh it's the most amazing place I've ever seen. You know, I've just never seen anything like it. You know, they, they had everything. A true hobby shop, you know. You had your your HO scale trains, your 027 trains, your your uh, N-scale trains. You had uh, uh, HO scale race cars. You had model kits. Every You had radio controlled stuff. You had the old Cox line control, you know, nitro powered planes, everything. But the funny thing is there was only one owner there, and this guy's name was Pete. And he had... He was a stamp and coin guy. That's what his thing. But he had his whole hobby shop. And uh I just marveled at the place. And I went up there pretty much every day after school and just would look around. This guy would always like, hey, can I get you anything? I'm like, no, 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 I'm just looking. And eventually he literally offered me a job. And it was just sweeping the floors. It was like for 25 cents an hour. It was literally 25 cents an hour. And uh oh, goodness. Yeah, but I just wanted to be in the, you know, in that space. Eventually, I got to the point where, you know, I'd saved up enough and I bought my first model kit, blah, blah, blah. And I'd work, long story short, I worked there for about seven years, you know, all the way into high school. I was there and, you know, I wound up with my own key and, you know, I worked with this guy for years. And um, one day I went to work after school. And at this point I was at the tech school. I was I was there, I think it was in my last year, 1982. And... Um, I got out of, you know, school. I went up there and the place was closed. And I found out that, you know, he had passed away. And oh. uh yeah, he had passed away. And that was that. So, you know, I just started looking for another part-time job and I found a job at Radio Shack, which I was really proud of. I always wanted to work at Radio Shack too. Because you know, at that time they had all the little gadgets and parts that you could buy. So I love that. Yeah, place they still
0: had the cool stuff. Right, exactly.
1: Yep. So um I got that job. And like literally two days after I went to work, I got a call from a man that offered me another job that I did not know. And uh, he said he owned a music store and uh he was a very good friend of Pete's. And Pete had told him that I was very good with my hands and I could learn things really fast. I told him, I said, I don't know anything about instruments or anything. He said, That's okay, just come down here and talk to me. And I still think I don't wanna do it. And when he when I found out that it was way closer to my home, because I used to take a bus to the to the uh Radio Shack, I agreed to, I agreed to come down there and see him. And I went down and I saw him and, uh, he said, Will you take this job. You know, if you can get here after school by yourself, I'll drive you home every day when we close. I took the job. And, uh, that was a very long, that was probably the longest I employed anywhere because I worked for him almost 20 years. Um, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. I started out literally straightening out the cabinets and sweeping the floors. And from there, uh, at this time, he only he sold mostly sheet music, a few used instruments every once in a while, but mostly it was a sheet music store, and he wanted to get into instruments. Uh, this guy had retired from a company called St. Louis Music. You probably know a, a product that they were pretty well known for. It's called Crate Amplifiers. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they, at that time, they also owned Ampeg. Ampeg had been sold to them, and they owned that too. But um, that was their thing, and they also had a, a, a violin brand, called knilling or knilling violin and they had like a shop built into the warehouse and everything and he started sending me over there and i'm apprenticed in that violin shop because he needed somebody because he got into rentals he needed somebody that could you know set sound posts and do light repairs you know cut bridges and and uh mill the pegs and all that so he sent me over there and i would go over twice a week uh for a whole day you know for a few years and i wound up learning all of that and then from there I started building archtop guitars because I got heavily into that. (laughs) It's just a long, long story. But the whole time I'm doing this, I'm just kind of winding up to do other things. And I started building archtop guitars and then I met a guy while I was still working at the music store and I started a solid body guitar company with him. We were building basses primarily. We actually built one for Stanley Clark, believe it or not, which I thought was the coolest thing in the world. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, I I did all of that. And yeah, you know, one thing led to the uh, to the next, and I just found myself a full blown luthier. You know, I, it's just I, so. I,
0: how did you teach yourself to build the archtop? Had, had many come through the shop to where you're kind of oh, familiar with their design and stuff?
1: The the most of my archtop knowledge actually came from violins and upright basses because we saw a lot of that stuff in the uh in you know in in the uh, canoeling violin shop. They that stuff would come through there and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would get to work on it and, you know, I'd fix cracks. And sometimes things would come in that need to be put back together. You know, you even had to, you know, put the bass bars back on the top. So, you know, a whole nine yards. And from there, uh, I got heavily into arch tops. And I started buying every kind of book I could on all the cool arch tops. And I think uh, the D'Angelico was probably the one that just grabbed me first. And then after that, the Stromberg, which is where my little guitar, the Elmer's name, comes from. Elmer Stromberg is probably my favorite arch top builder. But okay. yeah, so um, from from there, like I, I I knew as much as I was gonna know about violins. I'd done tons of repairs. I started doing violin repair for uh, a company called NEMC, which was a big rental company out of New Jersey. I would become a, uh, a warranty person for them. I got a warranty certification from Gibson and National Resophonic and Curbo bases. And uh, but the thing is, Robert Benedetto had put a book out. And I first found out about this book in the classified ads in the back of Acoustic Guitar Magazine and it hadn't come out yet. And he, he announced that it was coming out and it was going to be like 30, 40 bucks. So I mail ordered that, waited for it to be published. And I got that. I built my first arch top from that book. And I just started building them uh, using a little bit of knowledge from the violin shop and, Because there wasn't anybody really around here that did it when I was doing it. There was a couple of acoustic guys, but there were no archtop guys. So I just kind of had to pick it up as I went along. And I corresponded with a lot of people, and I just kind of felt my way through it. And eventually, I took on uh, a student who I take no credit for his work, but he's probably one of the finest archtop builders around now. I don't know if you've ever seen his work. His name is Tom Bills and uh, uh i'm, I'm it, not familiar with him, oh, but I'll, I'll have to check him out yeah check him out he's bill tom bills uh bills uh arch tops he's an incredible builder he he has classes online there's several books on him he's an incredible builder but he built his first instrument in my shop with me but he just went four miles ahead of me with that because i actually stopped and i fell in love with k's and harmonies and that's kind of where my heart
0: still is today and uh well, you know I, now that you say that. I can see a little bit of like the K harmony vibe within your designs. Definitely, it's there. Uh, it's sometimes your color choices and, yep. and pick guards and things yep. like that.
1: Yep, you're right. It's there. It's 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 definitely there. I'm heavily influenced by that stuff. And a uh, funny thing about this shop that I worked in, Baton Music, um, the their location. Always saw a lot of those things because we were like right on this borderline to the county and the city. and there were a lot of churches, a lot of storefront churches where a lot of the migrants that had moved from the south when they moved here, some of them went on to to Chicago and some of them stayed here. but the ones that stayed here, um, a lot of them set up like storefront churches and they brought these instruments with them and when they they would bring them into our shop because years later, we wound up getting a couple of lines of guitars and years later, you know, they would come in and they bring in these old K's and these harmonies, and they want to trade them in on something a little bit better. You know, it wouldn't always be something really expensive, It'd be like maybe a court or a hondo or something like that. And they would mm-hmm. trade these K's and harmonies in. And when he, when we got them, I'd buy them. And I wound up with hundreds of them, literally. I'd buy them right as soon as they came in the door and get traded in, I'd take them home. Wow. <laughs> I did a lot of homework on them. I learned a lot from those instruments. And that's kind of how I, uh, Became really good friends with Alvin Youngblood Hart because he's really in that stuff too. And we became really good friends. And we, you know, we talk about that kind of stuff all the time. But I absolutely love those instruments.
0: What is it about the harmonies and K's that speak to you so much, other than the, than the um the aesthetics of it? What, what really
1: well the aesthetics actually comes second, believe it or not. What speaks to me about it is I'm a huge blues fan. And mm. When I listen to a lot of that music, you know, the old, cause I listen to a lot of old recordings. I I absolutely love the old stuff. You know, you listen to guys playing those old birch guitars and that, and they got that kind of choked off nasally sound. They don't sound like a big, warm, uh, uh, J 50 or anything like that, or, or a Martin or anything. And a lot of times that's what these current day blues musicians will have. And they think they got a great blues machine. And, it can be, but the voice that I identify with is not that. It's not that sound. When you when you listen to Big Joe Williams, he's playing on an old silver tone archtop, and then you can. And keep in mind, he's added what three extra strings to it too. You know, Big Joe Williams played a big silver tone archtop made by K, and he added three extra strings to it, and it has that choked off sound. And it's not about what sounds better. It's what's correct you know when i listen yeah, to big joe's right
0: for that genre
1: right right when i want to hear that i want to hear it you know it's you know you know, i go down to like our local i used to be on a board of directors for the st louis blues society as well and uh they kind of recruited me you know because of my my you know my bias i hate to say it, but you know some people say, oh, you got a bias towards those well i don't <laughs> i just know what i like you know um And, you know, there's this one guy that, oh, he had this Gibson. I forgot what model it was. It looked like a 150, an old 150. But he'd come down there, and, you know, he was always the first guy. Couldn't wait to sit in. He'd pull out this Gibson arch top, and I think it was a 150, you know, a Charlie Christian model. And he'd pull that out, plug it into, like, some amp that, that, you know, it wasn't even a – the amp was like a Mesa boogie or something. And he'd pull out a glass slide, and he just – I was like, it just, he could play, but the 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 – the the voicing just like ugh for me it, was it just awful. was ah oh, it just wasn't for me at all and when you I mean heard a Alvin, grass
0: slide and a and right an old right guitar, right you right. need a
1: janky old guitar man mm-hmm. that's what that voice is and when you listen to Alvin Youngblood Heart, you hear it you know and that's what I me I was like wow this what is this guy using when I finally met him went to a show and met him and started talking to him and uh, and then I I got invited to his house you know he lives in Nashville excuse me in um uh, Memphis. You know, he invited me down to his house a couple of weekends and I go down there and he just he has his shop out behind his house. And man, he's that's all he's got in there. And that's what he plays. You, if you ever get to see him, that's what he's using. You know, he he's using a real deal. You know, he's Stellas and Harmonies and K's and just but it's that voice. It's, it's a pioneering voice. It, it absolutely is. And uh, I love that sound.
0: You and, know, when you think about it, too, it kind of goes with the gravelly blues singing as well.
1: It, 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 they're they're
0: they just kind of they're they're one and the same i mean i guess we say
1: that is because that's what we heard you know that's that's the connection that first connection we we heard i mean i i'm not saying that that the you know playing gibsons and all that doesn't sound good but it's just not the voice that speaks to me it's absolutely not the voice that speaks to me
0: it's a different thing
1: It, it absolutely is i mean the other thing is obviously I'm going to be a National resophonic Nut too, you know. I I've, I've got a National and I've played with them and and you know I love that jankity sound too, you know. I, I love the way Sunhouse bangs on one. Yeah, you know, he gets the one of the baddest sounds. I just I, I just not looking for pretty. You know, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But there's that sound, man. And and I don't hear it when I hear a solid mahogany guitar or a mahogany back with a maple top on it. Obviously, you know what I'm referencing. You know, I hear it when I hear something made out of poplar or or basswood or swamp ash. I hear it. You know, if it's solid and if it's hollow, you know, there's some guitars that have a great sound with a spruce top on them, but there's no substitute for that old birch. You know, a birch stellar, there ain't no substitute for it. You know, you listen to John Lee Hooker, you know, he's got a uh, uh, a album called Country Blues of John Lee Hooker, and it's just him playing a an old birch flat top parlor guitar, and it just kills. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just sound, man. It's just a, it's a
0: sound. So when it comes to those, how does like an acoustic um, harmony or K inform your solid body electric builds, or even your say your chambered electric builds?
1: Um. Well, the first thing the the are you, are you asking about the acousticness of it? Of, of, yeah,
0: well, I guess that's what I think of when I think of old blues. Uh-huh. You know, uh, but, you know, I find with building, whether you build uh, acoustic guitars or banjos or whatever, if you build something once, then it kind of informs your other stuff. So I'm yeah. kind of curious if those, if that sound informs your, your wood choices for your electric bodies.
1: Yep, absolutely. Cool. I,
0: so, what do you like?
1: I, I my favorite, my my wood of choice is, is poplar. I absolutely love poplar. I've built things out of the. I call them the pretty woods. They're hardwoods, you know, but I call them the pretty woods. Everybody, oh, you know, they put their wood up there and then they take some oil. Look at this, how beautiful it is. Yeah, eh, I don't yeah. care about that. I just want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, poplar speaks to me better than anything else. It just has this. And you have to get the right kind. People say, oh, that's just garbage wood. Well, if you go to Home Depot, you'll find poplar that is really porous and open. It doesn't have that. But the first thing that I heard that just like I was like, wow, okay, this is some old poplar. Um, I got a chance to get my hands on some aircraft poplar from the 40s that the government had had. they had uh, commissioned some guy to go out to hunt down all this wood and cut it down and make boards out of it, and it was used in the in they were used as spars in the wings of World War II planes.
0: And uh, this so guy- imagine that's pretty straight grained. Huh? It, it, you you
1: know, this is the most incredible. I keep I have a couple of offcuts, and when people visit me, I give it to them, and they just when you when you tap on it, it's really resonant. It's not a wet paper bag, but it's not so resonant that it feeds back. It's just the most pu- perfect tone wood for if if you want to hear i you know i'd go as far as to say it would make a great strat too but if you want to hear like a, a great um uh, like an h44 or something you know like the little solid body uh harmony Stratatones, not the hollow ones but the little pud you know a little solid body one if you mm-hmm. listen to one of those and if it's set up right i don't know if you ever listen to any junior watson but he you know he squares by them and uh if you listen to any, any, any of his recordings of Duke Robillard, you'll hear it. It's there. It, they, they kill it with those with those instruments. And uh, unfortunately, you have to have just the right kind of poplar to do it. And when I got this aircraft poplar, I used it up every piece that I had. It was very old and I got his offcut, and I was smart enough to save one piece that had still had the government stamp on it with the aircraft thing. And it had all that on it so I could show it to people. But. I I made as many as I could make out of it. And that was only, you know, make out of it. And that was only six. So I had to go hunting for something else because I was addicted at that point. And uh, I found a supplier that I was able to get to to cherry pick and find me just the right poplar. And I've been using that ever since. And I buy it, you know, obviously to the point where I have enough of it, but I'm always afraid that that's going to be the end of it and it's not yeah. like the stuff you see in home depot at all. It's its own thing. It's pretty it, it looks almost like swamp ash. It's popular though. It rings, it's not really heavy and uh it's not so ringy that it feeds back or it's really uh microphonic. It's just I think it's just the most perfect wood. And um that's kind of how I discovered that. And uh other than that, you know, the type of necks that I carve, and obviously the pickups. The pickups are a huge part of what I do. The aluminum bridge and all of that has a lot to do with it. And it's not so much that every part is exactly the same as something that you find on a K.O. Harmony, but I've found a more modern way to to do it. That's a little bit more accurate, and you know I can. In other words, this is an instrument that that will tune that has decent fret work, the truss rod in it works, you know, all that stuff, and the pickups sound great. And uh, yeah. you can still get that sound as opposed to making something that sounds like a Strat or a Les Paul or something. I, I'm i very specific about what I want it to sound like. And uh, that meant... There are enough hunt- of
0: those in the world already.
1: Ah, Well, I'm glad you said that. I, I tried not to, but you're right. You're, you're exactly <laughs> right. And uh, that's the other thing about what you see that i that i make i you know i always said that if i'm gonna make guitars i, I don't want to make replicas and i don't want to try and reinvent any wheel i just want to go my own way so i just feel like what i'm doing is my own way it's not exactly a k or a harmony or anything and it's not a it's obviously not a strat or a les paul or anything and that's all i really see i see you know a, a less strat or a telepaul or that's what i'm seeing you know <laughs> even when i see the body is different I feel like a lot of builders are trapped. In other words, they can't fully realize their design if they make a body or choose a wood and then not be able to make up the hard, proper hardware to get it the whole nine yards. In other words, mm-hmm. I'm going to design to this point and then I go, got to go off the shelf because I don't have the ability to make parts or realize the parts that I think would be the best for it. So it's a compromise, yeah. and I just did not want to compromise, and I have it. You know, everything I've, I'm doing is what I want to do. Um, the only things that are not me on my guitars are pretty much maybe the potentiometers you or know, the pots, which is ridiculous. The pots, yeah. the, tu- the the tuners, and the strings. You know, yeah. everything else I'm doing, I'm doing everything else myself. And uh,
0: when, I wanted to ask you about neck wood. Do you have a mm-hmm. preferred neck wood?
1: I I am using. Uh, maple. I'm using a very domestic three-piece maple. It has no figure in it. It's almost just plain white, but it's three pieces, and I did my neck construction technique is directly taken from my construction technique from my arch top. I take literally three pieces and join them together into a three-piece maple neck, and for fingerboard, I use wenge. I do not use rosewood because, obviously, you know what's going on with rosewood. It's like, it's getting more and more scarce, and you know, CITES is playing a little bit of a game back and forth with whether you yeah. can ship it out of the United States and all that. Not to mention that isn't my primary. You know, the bottom line is we've taken enough rosewood from the planet. We have to let it, we, you know, repopulate itself. So, Wayne Gay, I did some research on it and found out there's still enough of it around, and uh, I'm That's I'm happy. It's got a good
0: tap tone as well. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. It's it's the only thing it, about it is it likes to 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 inject you with its its it's almost like that wood. If you touch it, it'll force a splinter into you. It's like oh, it's alive. Yeah that, yeah, that 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 wange is no joke when it comes to splintering. So you gotta be really careful with it. But For sure. I haven't found anything else. I, I built a couple of guitars with bamboo fingerboards. And uh Yeah.
0: I, it, I've seen some some boards, you know, at my local wood store. Yeah. And it, it has such a strange grain structure. It, it on looks the, weird in
1: Right. There's there's two different ways that it's made. And you have to be sure to get the uh, the right type they they and one of them uses a more uh, how can I put it it's a more of a toxic uh, epoxy because what it is is a bunch of strands squashed together into a tube and then they pour epoxy in it and then they cut the boards from that oh. and uh, there's two different
0: Because, yeah it looks like little tubes in the ingrain
1: mm-hmm yeah well that that's yeah. that's literally that's bamboo that's their fibers that's how the boards are made and and uh, one of the, while well, both of them use that, one of them uses a more uh, toxic material to do it with. There's a builder, John Yves Alquier. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a I'm French not. builder, incredible builder, and he builds whole instruments out of bamboo. He's got one that I love. It's called the Bamboo Jazz. Beautiful guitar and sounds like a million dollars too. So that's what led me down. I said, I want to do something different. And because Rose wasn't around. Let me look at this. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I built a few out of that and uh the only there's only one thing I don't like about it. You know what that is? The color. The color. If it mm-hmm. were brown, I'd be more receptive to it, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah,
0: sure.
1: You know, you know, the wenge is it's as close as you can get to rosewood. I don't like ebony at all. Not, Why is that? It's really dense. It just it's something about it. I don't know. It it it's dense. I don't like working with it. I don't like the dust from it. I don't like. Uh, I don't like the sound of it. It's it's got this ringing to it, and uh, it's just it's everything about it. I don't like actually. I'm thinking about. It, I don't like the sound it's, of it. I don't like the way it looks.
0: <laughs> That's so funny because it's it's probably my favorite wood. Really?
1: Well, I you know what. I, I'd like if to I could
0: make whole necks out of ebony, I would do it. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. absolutely. I love the, the ring. Thing. I hate the the dust. I do, but right. And I, I do a lot of inlays. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Just, great it's a inlays magic, you great. Magic. A, a ma- Well, thank you. It, yeah. But it's a magic for for inlaying and not seeing your gaps. And right. Like.
1: It's it, that's true, and it's dense. So when you when you route your inlays, it doesn't expand and contract on you and you have yeah. the little fur around the edges it's 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 almost like milling metal you know it, it what's supposed to come out comes out and everything else is just a fine edge
0: yeah if you could see the grains you probably couldn't count them you know they're right, so right. so right. dense yeah yeah but yeah but yeah that's that's funny uh yeah i wanted to also ask you you mentioned your hardware and, and you have some very unique looking hardware obviously you're making the hardware like you can't go buy this stuff because it doesn't right. look like anything out there right um and you use a lot of the brushed aluminum as you mentioned mm-hmm. and, and it's door aluminum brass, and brass saddles right um so what what did when you approached that um were you trying to solve a problem or were you trying to just use new materials or both or, or what was kind of your thought process in designing it
1: well, I, I, a little bit of—I guess you could say—it wasn't really a problem. It was—I was just trying to keep with a sound that I heard that I thought was really unique. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember this: is an Italian builder that builds these crazy-looking guitars that I absolutely love. I forgot his name, but he—he—he he, he, he builds these guitars and he uses aluminum for pretty much everything, and. He made them like in the '60s, and they're beautiful guitars. And they sound good. They're cantankerous, but they are—they sound great when you get one tuned up and to stay in tune. Has a great sound to it, and I like mm-hmm. the way aluminum sounds. I've heard, you know, uh, Dan Electro, you know, with their aluminum nuts and sometimes their aluminum bridges. Which is my first one was based on a Dan Electro bridge, and it was an aluminum bass with a bone saddle. And it—it it, it was basically, if you look at a Dan Electro bridge, the one saddle that swivels around. I took that concept and made that wedge-shaped aluminum base plate and mm-hmm. that's my first one was that's exactly what it was. And from there um the saddles came in and it you know it morphed into a more functional bridge that you could intonate and all you know all that kind of stuff. But I like the sound of aluminum and I like how light it is for how sound how it sounds. Um yeah i don't like i i want a little bit more of the the resonance from the body and i feel like some people think well the harder the metal the more the resonance you're going to get from the body well i don't find that to be true i i that doesn't work well for the type of wood that i'm using
0: you know i, I, I agree i think that it has a tap tone similar to wood yes it, it, if it you like does. the tap tone yeah yep.
1: yeah and, and you know the other thing is is when I first started doing this, I because of the types of woods I was using, I couldn't find a decent enough stud or uh you know, the part that goes down in the body that you screw your two uh bridge posts into. I couldn't find anything mm-hmm. that met the, the 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 challenge of doing that. Every, you know, after a while they would all start leaning forward. Not that I haven't seen Gibsons do that too, especially Les Paul Jr. They're notorious for doing it. But I wanted one that wouldn't do that. So I wound up designing one myself. That the the stud that goes on the body is really hefty. If you if you ever saw one, I have to post a picture of one. It's a pretty thick thing. It's splined and everything, and it has a, a the the post itself is actually half the size of a, a a post that you see on like a a regular one. So they're kind of an odd mismatch when you see them, but. That's the way it has to be because of the wood and the post, the the stud, that part keeps it from leaning over. But at the same time, I don't want it oversized. I want just the right amount of vibration uh, transmitted from the body to the bridge down to the neck. And I just found that a harmony in the wood that I was using, in the neck that I was using, and then the bridge. And I started out with a one-piece bridge wraparound, kind of like you see on an old junior or something. It was my bridge, but it was a wraparound. It hooked at the back and pulled up across the saddles. Then I eventually yeah. went to a separate tailpiece, which is made out of Dura aluminum as well.
0: Now, and, uh, may I ask what what you like and dislike about the two? Do you mean the tailpiece? Um, piece?
1: Uh, well, I yeah, like.
0: I asked because I'm I'm building kind of a Les Paul thing right now, and and I kind of settled on the wraparound from like a tone transfer idea. I, I know. I t-
1: I tell you what I like about it. For me, and this probably I don't know if this translates to anybody not using aluminum. I would imagine it does. But what I like about it first is I don't like the wraparound because it puts all this forward pressure on the studs. And eventually, mm-hmm. you know, if you're using good tone wood, tone wood, not pretty wood, but tone wood, is gonna they're eventually gonna lean forward. So I wanted my bridge to go directly down into the body. I wanted down pressure on the bridge, not forward pressure, but down pressure. So by having the tail piece, it's hooked at the back, comes up over the bridge, and it's pushing directly down on that on that bridge, not pulling it forward, but down. Like an arch top. Yes, and that's where the concept came from, was from building arch tops, and uh, I found that the one piece didn't sound the same. I mean, on the same guitar, because one of the first guitars I built was a little junior style guitar for a guy that owns a furniture company. And uh, Mm. it had a one piece on it. And when I went to the two piece, I asked if I could switch it over for free. And he said, sure. So, you know, I went and got it, took the one piece off and put the two piece on and the tone was completely different. It sounded so different. I was like, wow, it was had more sustain and a little bit more resonance. So I just said, well, this is the way to go. And uh, I never looked back. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know how that translates to other metals and other woods. But, you know, my guitars were primarily the early ones are made out of Douglas fir. Now, like the Elmer model it has a Douglas fir top on a poplar back, this chamber. Uh, I the, see. The guitar that he has is a completely it's a junior body, but it's made out of some really old uh, Douglas fir that came from the Wicks, Oregon factory. You know, a company that made the Wix organs—this was from their stock. It wasn't repurposed. It was billets from their stock that were used to make soundboards for their organs. And uh, see. He, this guy, this guy that owns this furniture company, bought up their inventory, and he gave me some of it. And I, as a gift, I built him a guitar and gave him one back. You know, gave it back. Says, "Here, you know, you get one of these. Forgive me, on this wood." And I still have uh, probably about a year and a half supply left of that of those billets and all of my elmers have that's where if you look at the grain on those elmers you'll see like uh there's one that i just finished it's kind of a a nod to paul bigsby tk smithish kind of gretchy thing and if you look at the top on it that's a douglas fir top and look at the grain it's absolutely perfect there's no waving no knots no nothing it's a beautiful wood and i've got probably about a year and a half left of that and then i don't know what i'm gonna do <laughs> i have no idea you gotta
0: get creative
1: right right i've started using uh cherry on some of my instruments too for tops
0: okay yeah uh, um Um. i wanted to ask you about uh, specifically your your knobs and, mm-hmm. and pickup covers uh-huh uh they look like uh new old stock vintage almost are are you 3 d printing them? Are you sourcing them uh the, um, the
1: the knobs the knobs I literally resin cast. me and my wife resin cast them. Uh, I oh, found one dear. off of an old RCA radio or something I don't know I've got a box full of knobs, and I made a, a a casting of it and I do them in all different colors and you know I've got like two or three different knobs I use, but most of the ones are, are that same old funky looking RCA looking knob. And I resin cast those. My pickup covers designed from the ground up, and I initially three D printed them. And then uh, after that, I said I want to move over to aluminum because I like the sound of aluminum. A lot of people don't realize that aluminum cover takes a little bit of the high end off of your your elect, like, you know, your pickups. You lose a little. Really? bit. Really? Oh yeah, aluminum will do that. And uh, they're 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 literally uh, they're 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 wound and made to spec based on those ideas like if you look at my bridge pickup there's a blade there so there's no interference from the aluminum to the uh uh-huh. to the uh strings on the uh, neck pickup there is there's a little bit of an interference not a lot because the top is thin but on the neck i use one of two magnets i use either an alnico 2 or an alnico 5 depending on what somebody asks for and all of my pickups are mm-hmm. wound with 43 i don't wind with 42
0: you like that uh uh that different gauge huh?
1: yes i like the 43 you know because the other thing about my pickups they're 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 a chore to make but they have a sound all their own and i you know i, I document every single one that comes off my winder for every owner of an instrument i he's got his name i can tell you the direction the pickups wound the exact number of windings on it I can tell you the, the height to what height I've wound up because that's another right. thing that influences the sound. Like in that bridge pickup, the bridge pickup covers a certain height, but the, the what I call, I call it a winding plate. It's obviously a flatware piece that goes on the top of the bobbin inside the pickup. That I yeah. raise and lower that based on how many windings and what magnet I'm going to use. The other cool thing about the bridge position magnet is you're able to re- pull it out, put another one in without going anywhere near the coil. So you can change oh. the sound of your pickup just by taking your finger and popping that magnet. It'll come out through the bottom, and you can slide a new one in, and it'll change. What is the it? Sound.
0: What is it held in with? Just friction, or
1: it? Yeah, it's it kind of is. It, it's 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 friction, a little bit of wax, but it's it's so tight that it doesn't give any microphonics or anything. It's a there's a, a tube in there that I've three D printed out, and then the magnet slides into that. And I ordered the see. magnets to a specific a very specific size and they're printed for that tolerance and they slide in and they slide out. You have to put a little pressure on it, but it'll pop out and it doesn't, it's, there's like a, uh, it's kind of like an hourglass inside the part that the magnet sits in. It's, it's Mm -hmm. a little bit narrower in the center. Like when you push it down, it catches this pressure in the center and it doesn't go all the way to the bottom. So you can pop it in and pop it out and uh, change the, you know, go from an Alnico 2 to an Alnico 5. And that 2, obviously, is going to be a little bit more warm than that 5. That 5 lights it up a little bit if you want a hotter pickup. And some people ask yeah. for a hotter wine, and then they'll still want to switch magnets out, you know. So I'll, hand, I'll send them two magnets so they can, you know, switch it. And also I have, now, on, a, on a lot of my instruments, they have a push-pull uh, tone cut, or bright switch, if you want to mm-hmm. call it, on the tone. You don't see it, but if you pull up on the tone... Tone knob at the back, it cuts, it goes directly. You don't even have uh, a, t- a volume control. It goes directly to bright. It cuts everything out of the, the circuit so that there's nothing in between. It gets a lot brighter.
0: I see. Yeah. So it just basically bypasses that yep. um, That capacitor. Capacitor
1: and the volume pot.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So I'm sure it gets a lot brighter. Then, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Um. So Say you have the same number of wraps on a pickup, but you're changing the depth of that coil, like you were talking about the mm-hmm. height. Uh huh. What do you find changes about the sound? The
1: taller it is, the brighter it is. That's why strat pickups sound so bright, and when you listen to a D arming, it, it's so warmer and fatter sounding. That's why bass pickups are always flatter, or lower than guitar pickups, mm-hmm. and that has definitely been the case for my, you know, for my reading. And then translating that to my own experiences, you know, winding them, that's, I've found that to be very true. Um, the lower the pickup is, the, the warmer it's going to be. Also, the aperture figures in, too. In other words, how much of the strain is being sensed. So a pickup yeah. with a wider magnet is going to be a little bit more meatier than a pickup with a narrower magnet. You know, so you got all Which of these a, things a, to play with.
0: Why a humbucker would have would be a lot warmer because right. you've got a wider aperture right. between the two. And
1: coils. then on top of that, those coils and funny enough, you know, each one of the bobbins or coils in there is, you know, not a heavy wind. And they're they're lower too. You know, they're a humbucker, the, the calls are lower in there. You mm-hmm. know, you got the the magnet in there and then they, when you look on the bottom of it you can see that the bottom plate is actually pushed up a little bit more into the cover so yeah they sound a little different and yeah, obviously my favorite pickup in the whole world is the D'Armand. A D'Armand you know wound with 43 gauge wire on a on a, believe it or not on a ceramic magnet like you find in the later years of the Stratotones like your H49 and you know those years where they were hollow and that's why yeah. those pickups sound so great you know So there's all these crazy combinations you get to play with.
0: Is the forty three a thinner wire?
1: It is. Forty three is thinner than forty
0: two. And that is a uh, that's more accurate to older pickups. Am I correct?
1: You know, um, I found both.
0: Uh, Okay.
1: Believe it or not, like the old Charlie Christian models, some things though those things are wound with cable. (laughs) Oh yeah, they got some thick wire on. They really do. And um, I find that the the, yeah, I found both. You know, um, 43 is used on a lot of the D'Armans because of, you know, you see how flat and low they are. And also, the, uh what do they call it? The, the one, the Rhythm Chief. Are you familiar with the D'Armans Rhythm Chief? I'm not. You've probably seen it. It's a bullet shaped pickup on a stick that's kind of clamped onto the strings behind the bridge on an arch top, an old jazz guitar. You ever seen those? And it's real yeah. flat. That's that's a rhythm chief. That's a DeArmond rhythm chief. If you ever saw, if you ever got a chance to look in one of those, you wouldn't believe how thin that wire. It's forty three gauge wire, but it's wound so perfectly, and there's not there's probably like maybe a mil, two millimeters three millimeters from top of the coil to the bottom of the coil. It's not very much space at all. It's really narrow, wow. and my first pickups were made like that and uh they have a warm sound but you got to get enough 43 wire on it and uh, wire should yeah. i say wire on it? because 42 you can't get enough on it so 43 became the thing and problem is for some people winding with 43 is a challenge because it's so thin compared to the other it's not as strong and it's not as consistent either
0: you know mm-hmm.
1: it, the smaller you go the less consistent the you know the wire's diameter is
0: so say you're not winding with a, a really flat bobbin um where you can't really control the wrap as much as a, a deeper one mm-hmm. um do you find do you ever play with um how you wind it say like do a couple thousand real even and then uh, a certain amount scatter wound or mm-hmm. anything like that
1: pretty much everything I've done up until maybe about maybe about a year ago, I guess, about a year and a half ago, was Scatterwound. Um, Mm -hmm. My new pickup winding machine, I can set it up to do all kinds of crazy things and just walk away from it. It'll do it. I've got a a CNC pickup winder from this company in, in the UK, and... You know you put' I was a bob- just
0: looking at them
1: <laughs> yeah oh they're great machines they're they're great machines, and you can you can go in, you can set up so it does this many turns, and then you can change the 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 uh reciprocation so it throws wider for a minute and then goes you can do all this crazy stuff with it and uh
0: yeah, and if you do that and take notes, mm-hmm. you know you could come up with a real unique thing and then replicate it accurately exactly, that's
1: exactly right. And, uh, you know,
0: I never shied away from CNC stuff. I, I always like that. I use that like a someone would use a chisel. You right, know, right,
1: right. I'm just getting into it. You know, I I got lucky enough to get sponsored by a company, and uh, I've just been having a field day with it. I've got two of their machines, and man, you know, I'm just growing every day with this thing, and it, I just That's absolutely great. love them. Yeah. So I'm just like I said, I'm just getting into the 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 the, the winding CNC machine, excuse me, yeah. the, the, the CNC milling machines, but I've, you know, I've got my winding oh. machine, which is obviously different. You know, I've got a small mill, you know, the little, de- they're both called desktops. One of them weighs a couple hundred pounds. And the other one is, it's pretty small. You can sit up on top of a nightstand, but the sure. the other one, you know, it takes up a whole, it's got its own tabletop in that. And though it's still a desktop machine, I'm just starting to crack the surface on what that thing can do. And uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I I'm just getting into it. So I'm I'm asking questions of anybody that's got one.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to learn. What do you do as for your strap pins or your strap uh, jacks?
1: I've I've done three different things and I've pretty much landed on what I like the best. I've always <laughs> dug uh the Gretsch screw lines, you know, the the knurled knobs that the Gretsches have. The old school Mm -hmm. ones. Uh, I use those pretty much on all my Elmers now. But before that, I used these kind of high-end, just regular strap-looking buttons that were made out of, like, ivory with these brass inserts. I was getting them from Stumac. And I really Mm -hmm. like them. They have a good uh, look to them. But before that, I was making them myself out of aluminum by hand. And they were more (laughs) loops. And I had my, you know, I would provide with the guitar, and I, you know, my straps look like, like the old Gibson straps. And instead of having a slot in the end of them, they have like those old dog clips, like you see on a dog chain, kind of yeah. like you see on the old Bigsby stuff. And I'd provide that with it. It's, unless somebody said, No, put me a button on there, I want to use that, you know, yeah, so
0: yeah I, wow that's too cool
1: yeah i'll use whatever <laughs> I'm, I'm open mm-hmm. to anything i'll try anything once you know, i want to see what what's going to do just just to do something different you know i just want to see what else is out there so
0: you know it's you yeah, some of your models um seem kind of themed um one i'm thinking of uh let me pull it up here is the the wonka bar
1: the wonka bar well they are themed and they're not themed that they're, they're themed in, in name and all every one of them reminds me of something i got mm-hmm. a uh i got a, a commission guy contacted me and he just had to have an elmer gold top well for me that wasn't you know ah you know i, mean, I don't want to do that you know especially when you right, call right. it gold top i was like oh i don't want to do this you know yeah but he won that's what he wanted and I said to myself, well, I haven't made an instrument this gold. So I'd say, well, I won't make a gold top. I'll make a golden top. And that's what it became. (laughs) So because I'm kind of a kid when it comes to all this stuff, you see my science fiction stuff and all all of my bills and all that other stuff. Because I loved Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I said to myself, what does this golden word remind me of? And the first thing I thought about is a Wonka bar. You know, you get the golden ticket in the Wonka bar. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. I said, "Well, there it is." Then this guitar is the golden ticket, you know. So I decided to call it Wonka Bar for that reason, and that's really what you're finding is just a name based on something that I've done. Now, funny enough, with that instrument, I don't allow the the, the commissioner to name it because to me the name is part of the serial number. So I give it whatever name I want. They can call it what they want when they get it, you know. But if you look at that <laughs> metal tag on the side of it, that's part of the serial yeah. number. So. He, he saw it on Instagram, and he goes, you're not going to believe it. I was like, what? He goes, that was like my favorite book before the movie even came out. He goes, I love that movie. But the book I read first, and that's what drew me to the movie. And now I'm going to the guitar. He goes, yeah, you definitely got to leave it at that name. So I was like, wow. Oh, that was, yeah, I was like, that was meant to be. So yeah. I, you know, I, you'll know, you see like on the, the tags, I just kind of pull a little bit of the theme from the whatever and i added to the tag and in that case i took like the logo and <laughs> i just kind of fused yeah. it into the tag and that's where i it got its name the wonka bar because i did not want it to be called the gold top i wanted it to be called a golden top or a golden guitar or something just don't call it a gold top
0: no no offense and, and, to the yeah. gold
1: top but i just want my own
0: thing sure yeah and the uh, the three-way knob is purple too that kind of ties it together right that, that.
1: exactly that's meant to match his hat you know willy wonka had that little top hat that was purple so i figured yep. this knob's got to be purple and i just this that little accent i just stood on yeah the other thing i never mentioned is you know i've been back to school several times and uh the last time i was in school you know i got a degree in graphic design and uh that's kind of where all of this kind of starts leaking from, is my yeah. graphic design
0: roots, and um, so so that definitely helped you in this uh, in this field. You think
1: it it did? I didn't realize it did, but eventually everybody else said, "Dude, you don't see what you're doing here." I'm like, "No," and but yeah, it did. It actually did. It helped a lot. You know, I you know I, I use everything. I, you know, I use Illustrator. You know, I use eagle software for like some of my pickups have the printed circuit board in the bottom of them you know i you name it photoshop use uh fusion 360 whatever you know i've got all these different softwares and i use them all they all have come in handy to to be part of what i'm doing and uh, nothing's off the table you know i just what however i can get something done because obviously if it's going to be my own you know i I'm going to have to do it. You know, it's not off the shelf. So I had to figure out a way right. to, to make it happen. And I think the Catalyst was my first 3D printer. And, I, you know, I got that. And then after that, you know, I just, well, let me do this too. I, I got I got a, a, a cutter, you know, a digital cutter. And now we have three digital cutters. And uh, we use those to make the mask. Because I don't have decals on my guitars. Everything you see is actually a mask and sprayed on. You know, there's no decals mm-hmm. on anything. So, yeah, you know, I'm working on one for uh Verna Reed, the you know, the rock guitarist from the band Living Color, Cult of Personality. Yeah. I'm working on a guitar for him, and we're both sci-fi heads. So I'm doing this guitar and it's got kind of like a lost in space theme, and it has like this this little space guy on his tether on the headstock. Yeah, I don't
0: know if Oh, you, I saw that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I don't know if you've ever seen the original Lost in Space from the sixties when it was in black I... and white.
0: They had A long time ago, right. reruns.
1: Right. Well, there's a guy, there's a designer, a graphic designer who I'm a huge fan of. And he's done a lot of movies, too. His name is Sal Bass. And you can Google him. He's an incredible guy. He did their intro credits, you know. And uh, one of the things that he did was this little, these little space characters floating across the screen as the, the intro credits came on on the series. It was in black and white. And that's where that came yeah. from. We took that and we altered it a little bit and made it our own. And then I put that on the headstock. And uh, I just kind of added... Now, that guitar is a blend of the old Lost in Space and the new Netflix series. Those hexagons, if you look at them, they're they're embedded in the new series. They're not out in front of your face, but if you're a graphic designer, you'll see them. They're everywhere on the new series. Oh, they're on the walls. On. They're, they're, in ev- they're on their space suits. These little hexagons. It's like a, a thing with them. I don't know who the... Production artist was on it and everything, but they had a thing for hexagons and it gave me a thing for hexagons. So those gray hexagons, that's where they came from the new lost in space. And, uh, and
0: tying I, in the future with the past. Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then on top of that, um, you'll notice there's some uh, kind of yellow tinted pickup uh, surround rings on it. Well, those come from my love of Japanese sci fi, you know, space movies, because a lot of times those astronauts had these gray suits a white helmet and the helmet had three face shields it had a clear face shield then it had like a a gray you know sun tint one like a sunglasses and then they always had like the the yellow tint and i always thought that one that one pull that one down you know one that cuts out you know uh eliminates sun glare so i said Mm -hmm. i want to do something like that And i started out with a whole pick guard and then i said nah, that's too much so i got it down to these acrylic pickup surrounds that i milled and and tinted in that kind of yellow color, and it all blends together. It gives us a really cool, like '60s, current sci-fi flavor.
0: Yeah, I got to say that the transparent plastic really goes with your overall design really well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I felt like it worked out really <clears> well. <throat> and um, you know, I, yeah, I'll put some stuff and say, "Nah, it's not working." I'll take it off. It's almost like a painting, you know. And uh, yeah, you know, he's uh, he's allowed me to do that. And I'm really happy about it. That guitar is actually going to have a MIDI system in it as well, so it had wireless MIDI. So you know you can trigger keyboards and all this other stuff with it.
0: And, uh, oh goodness! Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even know where to start with MIDI. <laughs> yeah,
1: well you know I found that you know when when we like when he called me and we had this like long two-hour conversation about everything but guitars. I walked away from that knowing that he was heavily into sci-fi and all this other stuff. i was like, okay, that's cool. But I said, okay, but I, I don't want to just because he's into that. And I love it. I, I, I'm one. Let me do this. So I just went back. Excuse me. I went back and looked at some of you know just some videos and and you know his rig rundown. And I kind of found out that you know, okay, he has to have that. You know, when I, when you look at the work that he does. And the recording that he does, I'm like, this. how useful could this guitar be if I don't include that? And so yeah. from there, I said, well, what is it going to take to do it? And I found out it's not that complicated. I was like, wow, this is not hard at all. This is. I thought, man, a wireless one? Nah, that's okay. So all it consists of is a, a digital mo- module and a uh, hexaphonic, you know, hexaphonic uh, MIDI pickup. And uh, because it doesn't require an input jack, it's completely wireless, I don't have to worry about that. So... It has a low, Z, you know, a high Z output for the pickups and then the rest of it is wireless. So, so this is easy enough. You know? And it looks cool too.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Another build you did called uh the Multipla. Oh yeah, the Multipla. Uh-huh. Yep. So this thing it, at first I thought it was like a uh some kind of resonator mm-hmm. guitar, but then after reading about it um there's a soundboard inside. Yeah. So how does that go together uh, and, and and what was your thoughts on the the final result?
1: Are you asking me how did I assemble it? When you say how does it go together? Yeah,
0: like like is the soundboard taking up the entire interior of the body or just the space where the cover is? No, no,
1: it's the whole interior, the whole body. It's like okay. it's almost like somebody made a guitar with an acoustic top and then stacked another guitar on top of it and made the guitar on top so of the top
0: there's space between the outer top and the inner soundboard
1: yeah the soundboard is floating inside the guitar it's it's yeah. literally halfway you take the complete uh, depth of the guitar and that soundboard is right at the halfway point between the top and the back and uh wow yeah uh, you know who that guitar is owned by is one of the 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 inventors uh, one of the, the 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 uh how can I put it one of the the parents of desktop three D printing? Whoa! Yeah, he he was. There's three guys that that started a company called MakerBot, and they came up with the first three D printer, the system for desktop three D printing. There's actually a doc- yeah I've
0: seen the Makerbot
1: yeah there's a documentary on on him and the company on Netflix called Print the Legend. His name is Bree Pettis, and uh, he okay. owns that guitar. That's who that guitar went to, and uh, wow yeah it's it's a it's it as far as the sound is concerned, it uh it sounds like a mix between a resonator and acoustic. It has a great sound. Now I tell you I had to do a couple of things to it. It basically has a bridge that goes down past the the uh. The top, and and has feet on it to sit on that soundboard. The bridge looks almost like a violin bridge, you know, Mm -hmm. if you look at it. But the first one I made has a bone saddle in the top of it. The second one I made has an aluminum saddle. When you when you they're interchangeable. It it has two. the 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 aluminum saddle is my favorite. That one has an almost a a resonatory acoustic resonator quality to it. It has a great sound, and the bone saddle is a little bit more flatter kind of paper baggy kind of not wet paper bag but that kind of papery sound it has a cool sound too if you if you're in the fingerstyle blues it's it's the lick and the but my my favorite is that aluminum saddle bridge man that has a great sound and I, i purposely made one of them i did not write down the uh the measurements for anything. I destroyed everything. I So I could not make another one if I wanted to. And that was the intention. <laughs> I literally only wanted to make one of them. And it takes its name from an old Fiat car called the Multiplier. I don't know if you've ever Googled it. It's literally probably the first minivan. But the thing, the, the Fiat Multipla is about the size of a Fiat 500. You know, that little Fiat 500 that they reissue. It's about the size of that. But it was a minivan-looking thing, and I've always loved them. And the cool thing well, about it's it... It's almost
0: like a smart car.
1: Right, right, yeah. And and the, the thing so is, small. that crazy color that you see on the one that I made, it, it's mm-hmm. not the same color as a Fiat, but the one thing that Fiat did that nobody would go near in the 50s was like really loud colors.
0: Yeah, and I imagine the, the pickup, I imagine you can hear... You know, it doesn't sound like a uh, like one of your Elmers. No, through. no, it's
1: very microphonic. And, it's very, it's it's a low wind, and it's a loose wind, and it's it has some microphone not enough to feed it back, but it has more of an acousticky sound than you would you would think. You know, just looking. You at did it.
0: that intentionally to kind Absolutely. of lean into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right,
1: and it it floats too, so it's it's a different little animal. You know, right. but you're right. Every one of them has kind of got some kind of little theme going to it
0: yeah yeah i love it it it, it really ties it all together yeah well man i i gotta thank you so much for doing the podcast with me today no you
1: bet you bet it's fun i always like to talk shop